You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hi there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I'm doing things a little bit different. Um, well, not really. I mean, I've done these ones where I just do question and answers before. Did a string of them for Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Um, today I'm going to talk about hunger, or more to the point, I'm going to ask questions about hunger. And before we do this, though, I'd just like to make the point that everybody's different. So my answers might be based on how I did things and what works for me. And we all have similar, you notice, or I noticed when I asked for questions on hunger, a lot of people emailed and they were sort of similar sorts of questions. So I've just picked a few that might lie into one particular category. But so even though we might all ask similar sorts of questions, it doesn't mean that the answer to any question is going to be the same for any two people. I think this is even more true for adults with eating disorders. Those of us that have had an eating disorder for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, uh, it's often quite a complex mix of behavioural, mental processes, changes, tweaks that come into play when we sort of tackle any one issue or any one thing. And then often it's usually a fact of once we have tackled something, the next week it changes and there's a repercussion of that that we then have to look at. And that's why I'm so interested and, well, not interested, but that's why I'm such um, an advocate for personalised care in um, eating disorder support and treatment. Because I think especially for adults with eating disorders who have had them for a long time, the entrenched behaviours often take a multifaceted approach and they can change as well. And we have to tweak things and we have to work with what works for the individual. And I think that most of us find that we're actually... We guide our own recovery. And I always say to people, you'll be the one that writes the book of your recovery. The information's all there. It's in your head. But sometimes you need a little bit of external help to bring it out. Um, but anyway, so personalized, that's the point. I just want you to, I'm answering questions sort of blind. I don't really know who's asked them a lot of the time or what the situation is for that person. And so I'm giving a general answer or an answer based on my experience. A hunger. Wow. Gosh, what a topic. It's not, it's just not one thing, is it? I mean, in my personal experience with my eating disorder, I went through times of no hunger. I went through times of like real resistance to hunger, as in feeling nauseous or feeling sick at even the thought of eating, feeling bloated and full. Um, I went through times of extreme hunger where my stomach felt like a furnace and it felt like anything I ate just went into my stomach and then evaporated immediately and my stomach felt eternally empty and unsatisfied regardless of how much I ate. I went through times of apathy where I didn't know if I felt hungry or not. I just was kind of done with this recovery thing and bored of eating and bored of the food that I was eating and bored of the shitstorm that eating foods would create in my head and just could I be bothered to do any of it. I went through times of elation where I'd eaten something that was outside of my safe zone and made me feel very motivated and, and very on top of it. And I also went through times of complete confusion, which was probably the most, actually, it was probably the most um, constant state, complete confusion, because I would often feel hungry after having eaten and not have felt hungry before having eaten. 
I remember when I went through recovery, I didn't know any, I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't know what was normal. I didn't have any reference for what was normal. And the questions that I've had when I asked for hunger questions pretty much just sort of illustrated that spectrum of what happens when we talk about hunger and eating disorder recovery. So I'm just going to pull a couple of questions out the hat here because like I said, I got a fair amount and this would be a three hour long podcast if I answered them all. But the first one was how to counter the apathy and the resentment with the apathy. And that's a really interesting question, which is why I brought it up. Apathy, yes, there are many stages to anorexia recovery. And I hear people talk about apathy a lot. Um, I agree that being tired and often a little depressed and we get in recovery and that makes that a lot harder. Recovery is really hard. It's exhausting. It's not like you've got this thing, say, if you're scared of heights or something and once a week you're going to go and put yourself in a situation where you get scared of that height and then you get to get all freaked out about it, overcome it and go away and live the rest of the day or the week with a relatively normal life. You have to confront the thing that you're terrified of six times a day or more, and a lot of it. We have to eat a lot of food in recovery. And I find find that a lot of people, we start kind of gung-ho, like, I'm going to do this recovery effort, and then it gets to sort of month two or three, and it's just like, really? Am I done yet? <laughs> and then the resentment part's interesting as well, because it's the, am I done yet? And really, don't I deserve to be done yet? And I didn't ask for this illness and I'm still here and this is still hard and I'm tired and I just want the life that everybody else has. And to be able to go and get a sandwich at lunchtime without that feeling like I'm having a mental breakdown, which it often does. So the, how did I do this? Because I definitely went through that. I went through the apathy. Um, non-negotiable high minimums. So non-negotiable means you can't negotiate with it. Eating disorders love to negotiate. So negotiate might be the first thought that comes into your head, I want a chicken sandwich. And then the negotiations start. Like, really? Chicken? Well, that's meat. That's bad for you. Think of all the poor chickens that got killed. You don't really need to have chicken. Why don't you have something else? Why don't you just have, um, uh, you know, egg sandwich? But not, not the mayo. No, you can't have egg sandwich. And, you know, the eggs have to be humanely raised. Do you have any organic eggs in the fridge? No, you can't have an egg sandwich then. Oh, and what about the bread? Do you really need bread? What type of bread? My first thought was white bread, but actually brown bread's better for you, isn't it? Everybody knows that brown bread's better, so you should have brown bread, not white bread. In fact, you shouldn't have bread at all. You should have rice cakes. What are you going to have on the rice cakes? Well, you can't have the chicken. You can't have the egg. You certainly can't have cheese. So why don't you just eat a plain rice cake? And that's how it goes, isn't it? First thought is chicken sandwich you end up eating a rice cake. Non-negotiable means that none of that happens. Well, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It does. It will still go on, but it's non-negotiable. I always say we don't negotiate with terrorists and we do not negotiate with eating disorders. There's no point. You're never going to come out on top. I was never going to say negotiate that chicken sandwich and come out with a chicken and bacon sandwich or a club sandwich. Negotiations never go upwards with eating disorder things. They only ever go downwards, and they usually just result in not what you wanted at all, but something that's safe and low-calorie, usually, and low-fat. So we don't do negotiations at all, and non-negotiable high minimums. And um, this is the kind of thing when I, did, I didn't ever use a meal plan. I didn't actually know what one was when I was in recovery myself, but I did have an idea in my head of what my minimum on a day when I 
didn't really want to eat anything and I couldn't be bothered and I couldn't be bothered with those negotiations. I had a high minimum. That was my default. That's the minimum amount of food that I can eat at any given meal or snack. And my aim was always to eat a lot more than that. And believe me, on days when I was hungry, I would have, gosh, I probably ate five times, ten times my minimum, who knows, because I ate a lot of food on extreme hunger days. But when I was in that apathy state or tired state or couldn't be bothered and this is all too hard, I had non-negotiable high minimums, which in time actually ended up being easier to go to than not eating. Because if I didn't eat, I would get all this guilt around I'm not doing recovery, I'm not doing the right thing, that you know, that, that guilt side of things. And that created discomfort as well. And the other reason that the non-negotiable high minimums worked out pretty well for me is because they soon turned into being like um, a safe default. And that was fine because they were high minimums. So after a couple of weeks of eating, you know, like these high minimum um, amounts that I would eat, that turned into normal. So I didn't actually have all of this mental anguish and stress and mental energy going out just in order to eat that standard amount of food that I ate on a day when I really couldn't be bothered to deal with stuff. And then, of course, that doesn't last forever, those bad days. So on the days that I could be bothered to deal with stuff, well, that was when I'd really go for it and up the ante something chronic and eat as much as I could. And here's the other thing. There were just some days, that usually on those sort of slightly depressed, apathetic days when I really couldn't be bothered, when I just ate mechanically. Like I had that high minimum amount that I was to eat at every meal and sack, and I just munched my way through it. It really, because I made it not an option not to eat that, as a, at least that, then eating mechanically sometimes is fine. That's going to get you through those days. It's not like every day has to be amazing. It's not like food every day is just going to be incredible and you're going to love every minute of it. There will be some days when you just really don't feel like it, and that's okay. That's when you munch through and you use that good old feast mantra, food is medicine, food is medicine. Because if you've prescribed pills to fight an infection, those pills don't taste great either. I mean, it's not like you wake up in the morning and go, yay, I get to take my tablets. Fabulous. Can't wait for it. This is going to be amazing. You don't. You just get up and you take your bloody tablets because that's what you've got to do in order to get better. And that's what the doctor told you to do. You don't negotiate it and say, oh, well, I don't really feel like my tablets. So maybe I'll just have half and I'll have the other half later if I feel like it more. No, you just take the dose. And when food is medicine, which it is if you're recovering from an eating disorder, then that's your prescription. That high minimum is your prescription. And you get to take that whether you feel like it or not. Unlike pills, you can't overdose on food. So the more you eat, the better you get. Okay, so the next question I wanted to read out was, how do I begin to eat more when I feel full all the time? Great question because a lot of the time you're going to feel full. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. I think a lot, some of it is, is psychosomatic. We just get so out of touch with what a normal amount of food is, especially those of us who are adults with eating disorders that have for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years been eating minuscule amounts of food. What seems like a huge meal is actually not a huge meal at all. And it can feel like a huge meal as well. And that's because our stomachs aren't used to eating a large quantity of food at a time. All of that changes as you push yourself to eat more. 
But this is the problem is when you say, well, I'm feeling full. I'm physically feeling full. I definitely don't feel hungry. How do I push myself to eat more? And I think the simple answer to this is not necessarily a particularly popular one. You're just going to be uncomfortable. You have to push through it. I can't tell you how many times I have felt physically full, like I can't stuff any more food in. And then I've realized that I've got room for a whole nother sandwich in there if I really try. And this is the um, another deceptive thing, I think, with eating disorders, is that uh, there's that saying that your eyes are bigger than your belly. That um, I heard that said to children a lot, so if they go and get a large piece of cake or something at the party and someone say, and then they can't eat at all, and someone adult says, your eyes are bigger than your belly. I think I had the opposite of that when I was when I was in eating disorder recovery. My eyes would always see a plate of food and go, whoa, that's so much food. There's no way that you can eat all of that. And then I'd start eating it kind of reluctantly, thinking, well, I'll just try and make myself eat half at least. And then I'd get well over half and I'd usually get around to the halfway point and hunger would then kick in. And then I'd finish that plate of food and to my horror realized that I'm actually hungry and I could eat a lot more. So I feel that in eating disorder recovery, a lot of the time for me, it was the opposite of the eyes are bigger than your belly. It's like my belly was bigger than my eyes. I could actually take on a lot more food than I thought that I could. Um, but then a lot of us have real nasty stomach issues when we are going through eating disorder recovery, talking about gassy stomach bloating, all of these IBS symptoms, nausea, um, cramps, diarrhea, I uh, could go on and on. It's There's often a lot of discomfort. I feel, and I say it's a bit like an orchestra tuning up. When you haven't been eating enough for a while, and then you start eating enough, that orchestra's got to tune up. And it's often messy. Yep, that's the truth. It's often messy. The good news is you don't need to worry about it. It's just that orchestra tuning up. And if you keep eating, those IBS type symptoms or any other discomfort that you're having, they get better and then they go away. But it can be quite alarming. I mean, I do remember thinking at one time, like, well, this is just it. This is what happens if I try and eat a normal amount of food. I just feel like my stomach's going to explode and I feel awful and I get stomach cramps. It's not. It's just that phase. I promise it will come through. But back to the question of how do I begin to eat more when I feel full all the time? The answer is you just begin. You just do it. Feeling full? Get used to that. That's recovery. You'll feel full a lot of the time. You'll feel empty a lot of the time as well. It's bizarre. I do believe that sometimes I could feel full and empty at the same time. Go figure. So you get used to feeling a lot of things in recovery and overriding them and continuing to eat anyway. Hunger? That's a complete, you know, you don't need to be hungry to eat. You should never rely on hunger, especially at the beginning stages of recovery. But conversely, if you feel it, it doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. It doesn't matter if you've just eaten a meal or not. If you feel hungry, you have to respond to the hunger immediately. And that can be difficult as well, especially for most of us, like I mentioned earlier. We tend to get that hunger prang after we've eaten a meal. That's because the body's just in that if it's been in that, uh, I think we all get shortened, shortened binge restrict cycles. If it's been in that sort of shortened binge restrict cycle, it won't necessarily give you hunger cues before you eat. But as you start to eat, it's going to go, why? There must be food present. We've got to eat all the food that we can right now. And it'll throw a load of hunger signals at you. I do remember one time 
It was really disconcerting. I went out for what I thought was a big meal and a pasta bolognese, which was terrifying for me. And it was the first time I'd eaten that. And I was both simultaneously very proud of myself and very terrified that I'd just eaten that and all the usual eating sort of bullshit thoughts of guilt and what have you. And just as we were leaving the restaurant, I got this, I got such a huge prang of hunger that I felt nauseous. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I was felt like I was starving and my stomach was full, but I still felt like I was starving. And that really freaked me out. The correct response in that sort of situation is to get home and forget that you've just eaten a large meal and eat again because you have to respond to hunger and it doesn't matter. It's not going to conveniently come along when you want it to come along, that hunger, because you've ignored it for a long time. So it's not going to conveniently pop up before a meal time. It's going to come when it thinks it, it's going to actually get a reaction from you. So it makes sense that hunger will usually come just after you've eaten food and you've stopped eating and your body goes, hey, wait, why did you stop? Keep going, keep going. Hunger, hunger, hunger. So it's not convenient. You have to respond to it anyway. How do I manage to go off on so many tangents when I just get asked a simple question? That's what I often wonder. I don't even know. I think I think I've verged so far off that question that <laughs> I can't even remember what it was. Okay. Anyway, on to the next one. Will I know it's extreme hunger, or when will I know that I'm in extreme hunger? You'll know. <laughs> you'll know extreme hunger is it's it's eating a meal and then like i said feeling ferociously hungry and like you're a bottomless pit and in extreme hunger i ate more some days than i thought was humanly possible yep i proved to myself how he, how much a human being can eat in a 24-hour period and um the key with extreme hunger is you know, so my minimums are in place. Like I told you about before, I had these high minimums, the minimum amount of food that I'm supposed to eat each day. And it's just kind of, I never wrote that down. It was just this mental log of what my minimum was. When I went into extreme hunger, um, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. I, I could I could have eaten my minimum for the day for a pre-breakfast snack and still felt starving for breakfast. So my minimums were being met by default. But the key that I found when I went into extreme hunger is to eat and forget, eat and forget, eat and forget, and be very strict with yourself there. Because like I found out, if, if I was to eat and then at the end of the day clock up everything that I'd eaten that day, yeah, that just wasn't good for me mentally at that stage. So that wasn't, you know, I, I had to learn the hard way not to do that and to be strict with myself not to do it because, of course, the eating disorder wanted me to clock up at the end of the day how much food I'd eaten because it knew it would freak me out. So that's strict. You know, sometimes it can be an indulgence to do what the eating disorder wants you to do. And I had to be very strict and be like, eat and forget, eat and forget. It's a bit like the fight club thing. What happens in fight club stays in fight club. What happens in extreme hunger stays in extreme hunger. You don't think about it. You just eat. You go for it. Extreme hunger is, however, scary at first. But believe me, it's a gift because it's like a golden ticket <laughs> to getting more food and getting used to eating a hell of a lot of food. It's also like a bit of a kick, a kick um, acceleration into weight restoration. And so it is a gift. Should not be discouraged. If you get that extreme hunger, like the, gem the question was, 
how do I know if it's extreme hunger? Oh, you know, you, you really know because you will eat more food than you ever thought was possible for yourself. You will also eat a large amount of food. Like say if you went into a fast food chain and ordered the XXX large meal version of whatever you're going to have, you'd sit down and eat that with an extra or three extra portions of fries and you'd feel like you'd eaten nothing. Or even if you could feel it in your stomach, you'd feel like you could eat it again, maybe 10 of those. Whereas before extreme hunger, even the thought of eating that large fast food meal would have been just terrifying. And it's not just that, you know, like I could do that with bread. I could eat a loaf of bread in a sitting and still feel like that was not even a touch on hunger that I felt. Cereal. If you're going through boxes of cereal and wondering to yourself, I wonder if any human being on the earth has ever eaten this much cereal in one sitting, then you're in extreme hunger. If you're eating food and wondering to yourself, you know, maybe I should actually make good of this by writing to the Guinness Book of World Records and seeing if they could come and study me to the day and actually seeing if my suspicions are true and I just have eaten more food than is any human on earth has ever eaten before. Because I had those thoughts often. You know, I was just kind of, I was freaking out about the fact that I was in extreme hunger. And then I think, well, a little bit of sense of humor there. Well, maybe I could even make some money out of it if I, you know, got hold of the BBC and said, come and watch this skinny girl put away more food than your entire office can put away in a day. Thought maybe I could actually be sort of like circus sensation or something. But anyway, if you're having thoughts along those lines, it's pretty safe to say you're probably in extreme hunger. Enjoy it. It is there to help you. It's there for a reason. Um, not everybody goes into extreme hunger. This is another, I got about five questions asking that, you know, sort of, am I a failure if I don't get extreme hunger and eating disorder recovery? No, of course you're not. It's just a good indication that your body's not a machine. It's an organism. We don't control it or dictate to your body what it's going to do. We can make guesses based on what other people in eating disorder recovery, how their bodies have responded, what we do. We can we can make those sorts of guesses, but not everybody's body goes into extreme hunger. Hey, that's okay. If you do go into extreme hunger, you will be scared of it at first, but then you'll get used to it. So it's okay to be a bit scared. It's not okay to restrict eating. So you can be scared, but keep eating. And then you get used to it. And actually, I then found that when it went, I sort of was a bit like, oh, gosh, that's boring. I now feel satisfied with, you know, just a 12-inch sub from Subway. <laughs> well, you know, I started to get concerned that I could eat a 12-inch sub and feel satisfied, whereas before in extreme hunger, I felt like I could have eaten 10 of them and still not feel satisfied. I was like, where's the hunger gone? Does that mean I'm broken now? No, it didn't mean I was broken. It just meant means that your body goes through phases. And it's also not often the case that, you hit uh, uh, extreme hunger and then that lasts for weeks and then you go back to normal hunger. Some I found that I would have a couple of, I'd have a day or two of extreme hunger. I could sometimes even have just half a day of extreme hunger and then back to apathy. I could have, and so at one point I did have an extended stint of extreme hunger. It, everything came and went. There's no normal in this hunger game that we call um, anorexia recovery. I thought this was an interesting question. 
Um, I'm in a bit of a relapse, and when I feel actual hunger, I get so angry at my body for being normal. How do you work towards accepting that your body's singles are gifts rather than punishments? Ooh, I wish I knew the answer to that question, like a nutshell. How do you work towards accepting that your body's signals are gifts rather than punishments? Well, what I used to do is I used to look at what I'd been doing for the past 10 years, which was not responding to my body's signals, and then ask myself the question, am I happy? Is that working for me? Has that made me happy? And the answer was no, I wasn't happy. It wasn't working for me. And so I didn't really have any choice other than accepting that if I wanted even a shot at being happy, I had to change something. And that was probably going to be my reaction to food and eating and I had to put on weight. And so then all of those things again came up. I don't have any choice other than to put on weight unless I want to stay thin and miserable for the rest of my life. And if I'm going to put on weight, I'm going to have to eat food. And if I'm going to eat food, then I may as well accept that I do have hunger. And if I have hunger, then I may as well just accept those hunger signals and not be bitchy towards them because I've decided I'm going to eat and I've decided I'm going to get better. And sometimes that didn't work. Sometimes I still felt really pissed off for being hungry. Um, but that's an eating disorder for you. If it was plain sailing, then nobody would have a problem. I do think that the one thing that really changed all of this for me, and this was at the time when I was mostly weight restored, is I started doing yoga. And I know, I know I've talked about yoga and meditation a lot in the past. That's because it really, really was a game changer. The reason that it helped with all of this stuff so much was because it taught me to see my body as a third party and an organism, not something that I own or not something that I have any rights to, but this living, breathing organism that had been given to me. It was a gift to me. And so first of all, I had to look after my body in the same way that I would look after someone else's body if I was given it to look after us. So I used to imagine that somebody had given me their child to look after for the day. And if I was looking after someone else's child for the day, I certainly wouldn't starve it. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't even get mad at it for getting hungry or just being a human. And so I had to take all of those things and start applying them to my own body. And I really did for a long while just pretend that my body was somebody else's and that I was looking after it. And it was my job to help it and to look after it. And that helped me realize that those hunger signals are just there because this is a living, breathing organism and it's just trying its best to live. It's not trying to do anything spectacular. It's not trying to do anything devious. There's no hidden agenda behind giving me hunger signals to try and mess up my day. It's just trying to live. It's just trying to stay alive. It's just trying to be a human body. And that really helped me reframe how I reacted to things like feeling hungry or feeling tired. You know, for me, it was feeling tired that would just irritate me. I, like I ex was expecting my body to be the Terminator or something and just keep going and keep going, and keep going on zero fuel. And I get so mad at it if it even tried to show that it was tired or wanted to rest. And I'd respond to feelings of tiredness with, I'm going to make myself do more. 
like I was teaching it something, like I'm going to show you for trying to be tired. I'm going to make you do even more work. I mean, really, if my body's telling me it's tired or it's not because it's just trying to piss me off, there's no hidden agenda there. It's tired. It just needs some rest and food. So I think um, there's a lot of work. There's no easy answer to that question. Years of work went into me changing my attitude to my body. But I have to tell you, yoga really helped because it gave me that, it, it drew that line for me between me and my body and separated me from my body just as much. In a way, it separated me and my body so that I could actually bond with my body and not see it as something that's just there as an inconvenience to me or something that I can judge. Ha, judgment comes into it big time, doesn't it? Used to judge my body for being tired, used to judge my body for being hungry. When you see your body as separate to you, it suddenly is not okay to judge it. Would you judge someone else for being tired? Would you judge someone else for being hungry? Probably not, because you're not a horrible person, but we still judge our own bodies a lot of the time. And so that's what yoga really helped me do. It helped me separate me from my body and stop that judgment. The thing that I'd like to finish on is mental hunger. I got a lot of questions on mental hunger. I've been writing about it a lot more recently in my blogs. I think it's incredibly important. It's also not particularly well defined. And um, I'm not sure that it's actually considered a thing in eating disorder um, treatment as a whole or even recognized that much. But anyway, so here's what I define as the mental hunger. The mental hunger is the obsessing that you do about food day and night. It's the mental hunger is when you're lying awake at night and you're planning in your head what you're going to eat the next day. And the mental hunger is not straight or clear cut either because it also gets polluted by eating disorder thoughts. So I used to lie in bed at night and I used to fantasize about getting up in the morning and eating a bowl of porridge or something. And then that fantasy would kind of get corrupted by my eating disorder and it would turn into, oh, we better use skimmed milk in the porridge. Oh, you're not going to put honey in it, are you? Better use Splendor. And mm, not that many oats. In fact, actually... Why don't you just make it with water? So, so the mental hunger would also like would be the mental negotiation state of what I could eat and planning what I could eat. And here's where it gets even more confusing because you think of hunger as just about food and stuff. But for me, the mental hunger was also about all of the conditions that I would put on my day and my activities that would be conditions put there to enable me to eat. So really, it was still about eating, but the conditions were in place for the things that I had to do every day to allow me to eat. So the conditions were how I would earn my food. And so say if I was lying there thinking about that big bowl of porridge that I'd fantasized I'd have the next morning, the, as well as sort of eating disorder, negotiating that down to a measly puddle of gruel, the conditions would also come in and, oh, but, you know, actually... If you get up early and you add an extra 10 minutes to your morning run, then maybe you could make it with semi-skim milk instead of water. So, you know, the conditions would actually start to plan exercise and plan compensatory behaviors. But really, all of those were being put in place so I could try and even, even fantasize about eating. I still couldn't really allow myself to do it unless those conditions were in place. Like, oh yes, you can have the bowl of you can have the bowl of porridge and you can have it with skim milk, but you have to run for ten hours first 
in order to do the skim milk bit. You know, it was just always ridiculous. It was always unachievable. But that, but that's the mental hunger. The mental hunger is the bit that's saying, I want more food, I want more food, I want more food. I'm thinking about food all the time, thinking about food. The mental hunger is there when you've just eaten a meal saying, God, I could eat that again. I could eat more again. What can I eat next? Do we allow ice cream next? Maybe ice cream and chocolate biscuits. Maybe you could spread peanut butter on top of the chocolate biscuits. The mental hunger is, is that narrative that goes on and on and on and on and on. And I, I think that for me, that got louder every year that I was in my illness until it wasn't so much that I was hearing the eating disorder voice, which most people describe as sort of the berating and thoughts saying you can't eat this, you can't eat that. I had the mental hunger more, like that was louder. And I think it's because the eating disorder was just so, it was so present in my day. And I was pretty much acting out not eating and exercising a lot every day. The eating disorder voice didn't need to be that loud telling me I couldn't have stuff. But the mental hunger was screaming, asking me to have more. And it was actually really the mental hunger that was tormenting me and making me feel like I was going crazy because the looping thoughts would be looping thoughts about the porridge that I was going to prepare tomorrow morning, looping thoughts about the exercise that I was going to do in order to prepare the porridge tomorrow morning. The news is is that none of that is normal. It's actually quite good news because it means that when you recover from your eating disorder, that won't go on anymore. So that's fabulous. But I'd had that for so long that I don't know. I just thought that was, I didn't, I guess I didn't know what normal was. I was very surprised when that went away. Let's, let's say that. But that's what I refer to as mental hunger. And then, so when people say to me, I have no hunger, I'm not hungry. That's always there. The mental hunger is always there. And that's where your hunger is. It's right between your eyes. If you're not feeling hungry physically, that's where your hunger lies. It's in your head. It's the mental hunger. It's the looping thoughts around food that won't stop. And that won't stop for a while. It certainly won't stop when you start eating. It'll want more and more and more. But it will stop in time. It doesn't go on forever. But the eating disorder doesn't want you to know that. So your eating disorder will tell you that if you respond to the mental hunger... And if you eat as much food as that crazy mental hunger wants you to eat, then you'll wake up and you'll do that every single day for the rest of your life until you're 5,000 pounds. It doesn't happen. All that happens is if you respond to the mental hunger, that you'll eat a lot of food. Your mental hunger is there to serve a purpose. Once that purpose is served, i.e. you, weight restored and eating without restriction, it goes it's not there anymore. You don't have to worry about it staying and you don't have to worry about it staying for the rest of your life. It will just leave you alone and it will leave a lot of space in your brain as well to think about things that aren't food and aren't eating. And that's when you start moving away from your eating disorder and you use that wonderful, creative, intelligent brain of yours to do other things. So lots of good questions in there, a couple of answers. Um, I think I'd draw a little summary um, on hunger, you know, the whole sort of conversation about hunger and anorexia recovery. I think the most important thing to remember is that physical hunger aside, um, the mental hunger is there that comes in the thoughts and the obsessions around food. Physical hunger 
that will come and it can go. You might be in extreme hunger. You might feel nauseous and feel like you don't want to eat at all. If you are underweight, you need to eat more food. And if the mental hunger is there, then you need to eat more food. And you need to eat without restriction. And the point on that is that you could be eating 5,000 calories a day, but you could still be eating those 5,000 calories in a restrictive manner. For example, if you are not allowing yourself to eat as much bread as you want, then you could be eating many calories, but you're still restricting because that voice is still telling you it's not okay to eat a loaf of bread a day. And so you're restricting by only having a couple of slices of bread with every meal. Your restriction could be in actually you could be eating a slice of chocolate cake, but if you actually wanted five slices of chocolate cake, you could be restricting by only allowing yourself to have two. So when the mental hunger exists, it's important to eat without restriction. But I think the final point I'd like to make on all of this is hunger and all of the rest of us aside. If you're underweight and you have those obsessive thoughts around food and eating, you're not eating enough food. And that's really as simple as that. If you are underweight, you're not eating enough food. And um, I remind, this always reminds me of huge arguments I used to have with my mother. Um, always mum knows best <laughs> and you know she used to say to me you know you need to eat more and I would say you don't know how much I eat I'm eating you don't know how much food I'm eating you don't know what I had for breakfast you can't judge that I only had a small lunch on the fact that you know I'm not eating because you don't know what I've eaten earlier there'd always be an excuse I'd always turn it into a tantrum I'd always you know end up just being you don't know what I eat you don't know that I'm not eating but she was right, wasn't she? I was drastically underweight. So even if it didn't matter what I was eating, she'd always say, I don't care what you're eating, Tabitha. It's obviously not enough. And that's where it lies. You're underweight. It doesn't matter what you're eating. It's obviously not enough. And you need to eat more food. Well, I think I've prattled on long enough for one session. If you have any questions about hunger that I didn't answer today, so as I said, I got quite a few emails, but most of them sort of fell into these threads or categories that I sort of spoke about today. If you have a question that doesn't fall into any of that, then email me. My email address is info, that's I-N-F-O, at Tabitha Farrar, T-A-B-I-T-H-A, F-A-R-R-A-R, dot com. And I'll link to that email in the show notes because I do love to answer questions that you have. If you're thinking of a question, then you can guarantee that somebody else is as well. And then uh, we are also running a survey to evaluate these podcasts. I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well. And that's an opportunity for you to just give general feedback. You know, are these podcasts what you want to hear? Or am I talking a load of drivel? Let me know either way. Link to this survey in the show notes. I'd really appreciate you taking it. Thank you for listening. Happy eating. Cheers. And until next time. Cheerio.